welcome to Series 2 of the Stressed But Well-Dressed podcast. In this season of our podcast, we are asking why. We will discuss why stress exists, why we subject ourselves to swimwear in public, and why we need to be more inclusive when we think about style. We will continue to tell stories through style and host guests from a variety of industries, hearing their stories and listening to why what they wear has shaped or shifted their self-perception over time. We will always start with some comedy and think about the highs and lows that have helped us along the catwalk of our career and we'll finish with some great advice for you to take away. Why stressed but well-dressed? Well, we all have our own unique way of showing up and the way we present ourselves is part of our personal armour. Never underestimate the power that armour can have in helping you be you and know that your version of well-dressed is your confidence builder to help alleviate the stress. We wake up every day and we get dressed. Being clothed is a necessity. However, the way we choose to clothe ourselves is part of our self-expression and our self-identity. Wearing clothes that align to our personal values, our interests or our aspirations can enhance our sense of self and our authenticity. And aligning our clothing with our identity has been proven to increase our confidence. Research has shown that connecting a symbolism and meaning to the items in our wardrobe can make us feel a connection between those items and the identity or the image that we wish to project to the outside world. What we choose to wear influences our mood and our performance. This is called enclosed cognition and was researched by Dr Adam Galinsky and his colleagues at Northwestern University. The research looks not only at the symbolic meaning of clothing, but how people use clothing to self-reflect and to uplift their mood to increase their positivity. Creating our own way of feeling well-dressed, we are directly aiming to alleviate our stress, whether we realise it or not. Hello and welcome to episode two of Stressed But Well-Dressed. So in season one, we talked a lot about the concept of being well-dressed and how different clothes made us feel. The reason for this is we talk on the podcast about how we reduce our stress through a mindset of being well-dressed. What I thought would be really useful would be to go back to the beginning and question what stress actually is. Today, I wanted to focus on a really important question. Why do we all think we are so stressed? So to answer this question, I'm joined by Rona Berengut, all the way from Toronto, Canada. Hello, Rona. Hi there, Dahlia. And, and, and Rona, tell us a bit more about you and what you do. Well, I started off wanting to be a journalist and ended up being a university instructor for almost four years. Uh, when I graduated with my degree, my first degree, my bachelor's degree, it was in a recession and nobody was hiring in radio, which is where I, I wanted to go. I, I took a job as a writer at writing a strategic, a five-year strategic plan for a social service agency. Now, I was work, working at the agency. I was answering the phone because that's how I worked my way through school was as a, a, a receptionist and switchboard operator. Somehow or another, my father's company always needed a receptionist and switchboard <laughs> operator in April. So I was working there and they, they had to do a five-year strategic plan for the government. And uh, and and they we need somebody to write and somebody put mine said well Rona wants to be a journalist she can write and I what I discovered 
was that knowing nothing about social work and nothing about strategy, I was really very good at it. So that that sent me to business school because I needed to go to school to study this. Um, and when I when I was first finishing, I so I did a graduate d d degree and then I did my my master's, my MBA. And I, when I was graduating with my MBA, I said I want to teach. So I, I turned out to be I was very good at teaching because remember, I wanted to be a communicator. So for 40 years, I taught. Uh, I taught at um, I taught in Calgary, the university. I taught at all the universities in Toronto. Uh, my main teaching was at York University in the Schulich School of Business, where I also eventually uh, did a lot of work in executive education. So I was teaching undergrad, grad, and, um, and, and executive. And basically what I, I was a change agent. I was helping people change by providing uh, environments in which they gained knowledge and insight into themselves and organizations that things they thought they knew, uh, but they really didn't. And, uh, and and my main areas of interest were organization strategy and design and, and organizational behavior, the behavioral sciences. My last major accomplishment was uh, I was uh, I created and was program director for the Schulich uh, School of Business mini MBA that was still running at the executive level. And mini MBAs are incredibly popular now in terms of people's learning. Oh yeah, when we this thing took off like wildfire. So it there are a lot of people who either don't need an MBA, can't afford the time to do an MBA, or can't afford the MBA, who want just the knowledge. Like, what is it that these MBAs know? Like, what is the language? <laughs> okay, and you're talking about stressors, and then you know, one major encounter stressor sitting in a meeting and everybody's talking and you don't know what language they're talking so just knowing the words became very very powerful for people and we're seeing generation of people come through who are really hungry to learn as well so the appetite is definitely there and yeah. actually we met in a learning environment so when I was studying in Toronto 18 years ago it was my first time studying abroad and I took your class I'd done two years of a business management degree in the UK and, and looked at lots of theories of management, good practice, things like accounting, economics and industrial relations. So everything that I'd learned before I met you had been very much about looking at other organisations and critiquing them. We'd done lots of work about things like calculating depreciation or quantitative methods. Everything had an answer. And then I came to your class and you asked us, to look at ourselves. So you challenged us as a student group to think about how we were feeling in different situations. And that was something that I had never done at university before. I wasn't used to not having a black or white yes or no answer. Um, and I wasn't used to critiquing myself. Um, and it felt quite uncomfortable. And to be honest, I don't think I enjoyed it very much because I couldn't find that right answer. And in the midst of all of this, Rona, you said something that I will never forget. You said there is no such thing as stress. And I was stopped in my tracks because at that moment I was finding things really stressful. So hearing that, 
was possibly one of the most stressful things I had ever heard. <laughs> so Rona, tell us why we think we are all stressed and what you mean when you say the concept of stress doesn't exist. Can you break that down? Yeah, so I just, in, in my little introduction of myself, one of the things I said is I'm a change agent. And in order to be a change agent, you have to get people uncomfortable with the position that they're in. And one of the ways that I get people uncomfortable with the position that they're in is by telling them there's no such thing as stress. Now, it's a little bit of a hyperbole, but not completely. So if we go back to the origins, Hans Selye, who was an endocrinologist, was noticing that there was a pattern of body response particularly in the endocrine system, that kept getting repeated over and over and over again, and ultimately caused a body to start breaking down in various places. There was no name, there was no nomenclature, there was no bucket in which to put this. So he looked, he had to create something, and he looked for an analogy. And the analogy that he came up with was from metallurgical engineering. And, and stress is the force that is required to cause something to break. So the example I used to give in class was of a paperclip, that if you keep bending the paperclip back and forth, it will ultimately break. Why Selye use this concept is because he recognized that as beings, we have two states of being, and we have a state of repose and a state of activation. And unfortunately, that's the only two responses that we have to outside demands on our, on our body. So he defines stress as a non-specific response, meaning same response no matter what the demand is, to a non-specific response to any demand. Now, when this was created in us, we were far, we're talking at the origins of beings, and this is taken care of in the reflexive part of our brain, the what we call the lizard brain, our ancient the ancient part of our brain that we have in, in common with lizards. And it is, it's what keeps our heart beating, it's what makes tears in our eyes. It we don't think about this. Okay, this goes on. I mean, if I had to, I have enough difficulty walking and chewing gum at the same time. If I had to think about keeping my heart going while my mouth is going, I'd be yeah, I, long gone. This repose and activation comes from the fact that in our simplest social form, we were either hunting or we were resting from the hunt. So that if all of a sudden we saw a saber-toothed tiger, well, we needed to, to respond. We either had to fight it, the hunting, or we had to flee it. So the state of activation is a fight-flight response. And in order to fight or flee, we need to have energy in our bodies. We need to get oxygen to, to the, our extremities. And so that's the, that is the fight-flight response. And that's the response we go to whenever there's a demand. So whether you're being promoted or you're getting fired, whether you're waiting for a job interview or you're getting married, whether you're you're on a you know a, a Saturday night with friends, it doesn't matter what the demand is. the The response is going to be the same. Our challenge is though that a 
we're we're talking about stress from the stratosphere. It's like we're in the space station and we're circling the Earth and, and talking about the stress that's down on Earth. So we use the word stress, but we don't really know what it means. And without knowing what it means and without knowing why it's a problem, we have a lot of difficulty, quote unquote, managing it. So we need to understand what what the various demands are that we respond to. The problem is, is that we have so many demands in our life. We're almost always running on full tilt. So we're always in fight flight mode and our bodies are not designed for that constant response. And what happens is, is when our bodies are continually under that demand, eventually they start to break down, you know, and they will break down in kind of ways that they're what it's our weakest points in our body. So some of us develop IBS, some of us develop migraines, some of us develop, you know, various other psychosomatic illnesses. And I say psychosomatic, the somatic is the physical, but the psycho comes from the fact that we're, we experience the demand but because we don't differentiate one demand from another, it's just like this whole big ball of thread. What I was doing in that class was helping you to identify what the different demands were so that you could pull a thread and you could follow it for a bit and say, oh, OK, this is a demand. All right. And so, OK, here's what I need to manage that demand. Like if you say to me, Rona, do you manage your time effectively? I would go, oh, yes. Okay. But if you would ask me, Rona, what do you do to manage your time? I would tell you that first I procrastinate a lot. Okay. And <laughs> then that. and then I read a book and watch some TV. Okay. And then I read, oh my God, I have to do something and I rush to get it finished. All right, and, and I get it finished. I'm never late for, for a deadline, but a lot of times how I got to that deadline left me exhausted and with a headache. When I learned about the stressor of time, I learned that there were certain things that I could do to manage my time more effectively so that now I didn't change my, my habits. I still procrastinate, but I procrastinate less. <laughs> so what you're saying then is that actually there's different demands on us at different times, sometimes multiple demands, because we never truly get to resting state because of the situations we put ourselves in, because of how we live our lives, because of society, because we're always so on and so alert. We are in a constant kind of heightened state of tension, which right. causes different parts of our bodies to break down and gives us this I don't want to say illusion, but idea that we are stressed because our, our body is taking some kind of impact from, from what is happening to us. Yes. One of the things that you disliked so much about the class um, and all everybody disliked, I hated it when I took the class, is learning to differentiate between what I think and what I feel. Because education in Western society is all about thinking. All right. It's all from the neck up. Okay, you learn quantitative analysis, you learn accounting and management, industry. They're wonderful concepts, but they're all in your head. And the question that I was posing to, to the, my classes on interpersonal skills is, yes, but what are you feeling? And it took an off, it took a whole term to get 
I'd say about maybe three quarters of the class to be able to recognize that there is a difference between thinking and feeling, let alone actually be able to tell me what they were feeling. So we used to do those reflective exercises. Part of it had to do with the thinking. Part of it had to do with the feeling. And then once you know what you're feeling, you can identify theoretically what you're experiencing and the theory will tell you how to manage it. That feeling is the difference between saying I'm so stressed out and saying I have a time stressor that I need to manage now. And I know from taking the class there are four different types of stressors that we might feel, all of them at once or individual ones. Can you walk us through those those different stressors that can hit us and impact us? Sure. The first and one of the more difficult ones is anticipatory stress. Okay. Anticipatory stressors are are demands that we really, we think about in our heads and and we worry about. So this is, you know, our catastrophe scenarios, like what ifs. Okay. You know, what if this happens? What if that happens? And there are a lot of, there are a lot of demands. You know, you have a meeting to go to, you have a presentation to do, you have a wedding, you're getting married, your your child is getting married, like whatever is in the future that you don't know what is going to happen and your thoughts start to run rampant about the, you know, the catastrophe because like, you know, it's either going to be perfect or it's going to be terrible. In this society today, I just feel like there's so much demand to be perfect as well Um, and so much catastrophizing about what if, what if, what if, if it isn't perfect and all to plan as you think in your head it should be. Well, in the class, you, you recall, one of the major anticipatory stressors for you was the fact that there were no right answers. Correct. But the thing is, is that in life, there are no right or wrong answers. And so being able to identify, like, where do you feel the anticipatory stressor? Okay, does is your heart pounding? Is your stomach upset? Okay, is, is your head you know, it tensing up, like where, where does that happen? So that's the anticipatory. Now, the second one is encounter stressors. And that's actually being in an encounter with another person. All right. And that person either placing demands uh, on, on you, such as a boss or mother-in-law or parent or or somebody you don't like, uh, you know, my uh, one of the things that uh, I recognize very early on in my studies is that nobody was ever going to ask me to work with the people that I liked. <laughs> they were going to ask me to work with whoever I had to work with. I was made at a very tender age. I was given responsibility for coordinating the compulsory course at you know the undergraduate level, and we were we would run six sections a term. We could have three or four instructors teaching it, and these instruct they were all senior to me. They were all there longer than me. I I had just graduated. My the ink wasn't drawing on my diploma yet, and here I was having to having to manage them and then one one professor in particular I really disliked I really disliked he was misogynist and he was oh he was just he was biased and prejudiced and nobody ever said Rona just work with the people you like so every encounter with him was stressful it, it was a really tough stressor to manage because you have to learn when to when to walk away and you need effective interpersonal skills so that you don't let yourself get angry and passive aggressive and in, in, in all kinds of things. 
You've given two examples there of situations that can actually put a stressor on you. So the anticipation or the anticipatory stressor of not knowing how something is going to play out, but then also the encounter stressor of being in a situation with someone that you know feels uncomfortable and thinking about how it's going to feel, either working with that person, having dinner with that person, being part of a team with that person, and um, being in a WhatsApp group with that person. And that, if you recognise it, can be where the stressor comes from. So understanding how you manage that and how you get the best out of that relationship is key, I guess, to managing some of that stress and, and taking back some of that control. Yeah, because the, the encounter stressor is all about being face to face. For that, you really need to work on interpersonal communication. And unfortunately, when we teach communication in business school, we teach about organizational communication. Now, I don't know about the organizations you work in, but I never worked in an organization that communicated. <laughs> I only worked in, in places where people communicated. And I got to tell you, universities are places where people have the poorest communication skills. All right. And in, it's very, very difficult to be in a situation where you have someone who is not communicating effectively and having to interact with them in a way that gets whatever done that needs needs to get done. Now, the third uh, stressor is the situational stressor. The situational stressor is there are different situations, a job interview, a meeting, being in front of an audience and presenting. I mean, one of the things people were always amazed. So I, for 40 years, I was an instructor and a presenter and, and public speaker. Before I would go out to, to talk or before the, the bell went and I called everybody, I was a nervous wreck. Right? I was very, very nervous. Doing the public speaking, that situation went against everything in my personality. And my personality is such that I am highly introverted and highly sensitive. And the last thing I want to do is talk to strangers. Then here I am talking to strangers. So just because you have personality traits doesn't mean you can't manage them when you're in situations that require you to manage them. And here again, being very aware of what the physical cues are that your body is, is telling you, knowing what the skills are that you have that you can work on to, to help you manage a situation helps an, an awful lot. And the final one is time. One of, the, one of the realities of life is there are only 24 hours in a day and you can't have any more of them. Part of the problem about talking about this, this you know, stress concept is that stress, which is whoa, way out there and, and airy, it doesn't have any confines, but time does. There are only 24 hours in a day and you can't have more and you got to learn to do what you have to do in order to get things done within those cons constraints. And so, you know, I, there are God knows how many people who've made, you know, lots of money helping people learn to manage their time. So we've got anticipatory encounter stressors and meeting people, situational stressors and time stressor. So I want to make a real life example now so people can start to pin them to how sure. that might make them feel. 
Um, and one of the examples that we discussed was um, returning home for holiday season. So Rona, you gave me the example that you hated celebrating a holiday because it meant returning home to your family and it felt very, I'm going to say a word you don't like, but stressful. But yeah. actually, when you started to break it down, you could identify some of the stresses around that. Do you want to share the example? So the example is it's a Jewish holiday, uh, Passover. And I, and I remember as a kid, I loved Passover. It, it's a big do in the Jewish religion. I mean, you change dishes, you have all kinds of special foods. It's just the families get together. And when I was a kid, I loved it. But when I moved, uh, not only my parents' house, I got married, but I moved away from them. I started to develop my own ways of managing and coping and my own ways of doing things. When I went home, quote unquote, home, when I went to my parents' home for this holiday, we stayed with my parents. My second foot wasn't even in the door. And already I was uh, 15 years old. All right. So I regressed. Now, here I am. I'm a mother of two children. And in my mind, in my experience, I'm 15 years old and I'm still and I'm getting mad about all the things I, I can get mad about. And my parents are driving me crazy as parents are wont to do. Uh, it's our job. You know, we we perfected over, over the years. Not only that, but there was my family, my husband's family, and we would go from one meal to another and every meal was at a different table. And I had two kids and the kids had to behave themselves. And we were tired because we weren't sleeping well because the bed wasn't comfortable. And I was always aggravated because of the fact that my parents were still treating me like I was 15 years old and I was feeling like I was 15 years old. And my kids wanted me to be a mother and an adult at the same time. So I had all four stressors going at the same time. And I, I was stressed. I hated Passover. It was too stressful. And I used to start complaining complaining about it like in January. So Passover is usually around the same time as Easter. In January, I would start complaining about it until so one day. So you had the dread. The dread was coming. Oh, yeah. The, the anticipatory started in, in January and I worked myself into a lather so that by the time I actually got there, the situational and the encounter were in full bloom. I started to tell my therapist about this and I looked, took one look at him and I said, to, and I looked and I went, I said, you've heard this before. And he said, yep. I said, you've heard this a lot. He says, yep, you've heard this every year. He says, yep, I'd been in therapy for a while by that point. And I said, you don't want to hear about this anymore. No, you wish I would do something about it. Yeah. It, one of the nice things about reflection is that you learn to hear yourself, your own voice. And that's why keeping a journal or doing these reflective exercises are so powerful, is because over time, you start to hear your own voice. And that's what happened in this situation. And I went, oh God, I, I got really have to do something about it. And it didn't take long. By the next year, I think in April, I said to him, by the way, it's Passover next week. Okay. And then like for the last N number of years, I never even mentioned Passover again. 
Why? Because I had figured out what the different demands were that were driving me crazy. And I have to say that the toughest demand was the encounter demands, okay? Because that the parent-child dynamic and particularly the mother-daughter dynamic, I mean, these psychological dynamics are, are the makings of delightful therapy sessions. Just kind of touching on that, obviously you realised what it was that was creating a stressor for you and you reflected on that and you were able to do something about it and, and almost accept some of the stressor you you have to go and stay with your family this probably resonates for a lot of people who feel very stressed in December December is statistically the most stressful month of the year because you have the time pressure of the end of the year the time stressor of Christmas and that staying with the family as well and it can be there's a lot of emotion going on again it's that catastrophizing everything has to be perfect so I imagine that idea of having a holiday and coming home for it can be full of emotion for many of our listeners. So how do you recommend people take the time and space to be able to, first of all, identify what those stresses are? So untangle the ball that you talked about, find the threads, and then start to think about how they manage them. To to my way of thinking, the easiest way to just start is to start keeping a journal. You know, I always used to tell my students, go out and buy yourself a nice journal and start writing. They were, I asked, what should I write about? I said, I don't know. It's your journal. You start writing. And what if I don't like what I'm writing? I said, well, then stop writing that and write something else. The thing is, is that you don't know what to write in your journal until you start writing a journal. And then if what you're writing doesn't, you know, doesn't compel you in any way to to, to read it or to continue, it's, you know, write something else. The writing of it is important, not blogging and not videoing or, or you know, doing any kind of audio taping right the act of writing is very therapeutic you put it down on paper and you see it in front of you and I could tell just by my handwriting where I was at emotionally if you start to keep a journal you will eventually hear yourself you'll find your voice if you go back and you read it you know you just flip through it you'll find different patterns. Imagine if you look at it over time, you'll notice there are certain points in the year where certain things come up that you allow yourself to feel every year because you don't face into actually what would it take to recognise that and to have a different approach and and feel differently about that. You know, one of the things that I realised when I was teaching stress is that I'm a headache sufferer. That's my go-to position for a stress response. What I never realised until... You know, I just all of a sudden realized that I had a headache every single day. But one day I had a headache because it was hot. And one day I had a headache because it was cold. And one day I had a headache because I was tired. And one day, every day I had a different excuse for the headache. But when I started to keep time logs, which is one of the things that one of the other things that we encourage people to do when besides the journal writing is to keep time logs. One of the things I realized I had a headache every single day. So I was living on pills. This has to stop because I just all of a sudden saw myself. I've got to start a new pattern. So keeping a journal and then keeping a time logs and in your time logs, what are you doing? The theory says you should keep a time log write down what you're doing, what you're thinking, and what you're feeling. Okay, so I used to make it a half hour, but they work brilliantly because it helps with your anticipatory stress, right? You realize that half hour before my organizational behavior class, I know I used to get anxious because that was the professor who was misogynist and biased and prejudiced. and, And I was the only woman in the class and he would come in and say, 
clever things like, do you know that women are smarter than men and they have larger brains than men? Thank you very much, sir. That was really helpful. I'm sitting in the class with nine <laughs> male engineers and you come in and, and do that. So I, I, I knew from keeping the diaries and the logs, I could find these things out. So it helps with your manager, your, your anticipatory. And also you can start managing your encounter stressors by planning out in your in your diary in your journal a conversation what do you want to say what do you think they're going to say back to you all right and what are you going to say in response and you keep that di that dialogue going until you get to the point where you go that's it that's that's what i need to get at and that ends up being at the front of the conversation rather than the end of the conversation. you know when you you have a, an encounter with someone and then you walk in like 15 minutes i should have said well, this helps with the shoulda said. Because okay. it becomes what you actually say. Yeah. And yeah. and tell me, for, for encounters in particular, do you think dress can help alleviate stress if you feel well-dressed from a mindset oh, yeah. perspective? Absolutely. When I was graduating with my MBA, which was 1980, mandatory reading was dress for success because, first of all, it helped with anticipation. I knew I looked good. I knew exactly because I had read this book. I knew what kind of suit to buy because I had to buy a suit. I knew what kind of shoes to buy, what kind of purse I, I needed. Uh, I knew about makeup. I put on this costume, if you will, and I could play the role of Rona Barron at MBA. So I walked in and I felt good about myself. I also felt prepared for the situation, whatever the situation was. You know, in, in terms of, of, of the encounter, if I was having a challenge with someone, I knew it was what was happening in the space between us rather than me, okay? You know, it's not just me, okay? It's happening between us. So I dress is very important. Fully agree with that. And obviously it's, it's the premise of the podcast is, is stressed or well-dressed. And I love that you were given that book in 1980 dress for success I'll, I'll tell you that that finished by the time I got to the MBA in 2020 we weren't given that from a reading material perspective but obviously feeling good in how you show up and, and that belief in yourself and confidence and, and finding ways to do it dresses is absolutely one of those so we've talked about the four different types of stressors so uh, just to recap anticipatory stress time stress uh, encounter stressor and situational stressor as well and we've talked about kind of looking into yourself and how do you get into your feeling rather than just what you're thinking and start to step away from, from you and reflect on that and journaling being a, a great tip in terms of writing down what's going on in your mind. And one of the things that I've been recommended to do is to write without thinking, write without punctuating and then look back at what you've written rather than deliberating what should I put when I put pen to paper and really just, just writing and then going back and saying, well, what was in my head at that time? What is your reflection after this conversation? Well, to be perfectly honest i am blown away i am so um so flattered how much you remember as a teacher we don't we don't always know about the impact that we're having at any point in time now i was very fortunate in my interpersonal skills class because you had to hand in this journal at the end and i got to read 
And sometimes I would be reading what people wrote and I go, geez, that's really good. Did I say that? I got to remember to say it again. <laughs> the amount that you remembered and the impact that it had on you was really very rewarding for me. I've been very fortunate over the years. There have been a number of people who have come back to me, sometimes like 15 or 20 years later. I get an email from somebody. I took your class in 1992 and I want to tell you I finally got it. For me, this was so validating. I have to say thank you very much. Oh, well, look, it's I will tell you, I remember this, but I remember nothing about how to calculate depreciation or quantitative methods. And, and I think part of it is just remembering that stress doesn't have to be something that you feel but can't explain. And, and I think if I was to recommend anything to the listeners, it's Sometimes you feel like, and, and this can be a time stressor, you have no time to, to think or step back or identify what it is you're truly feeling. But hopefully listening to this will help people identify where some of the, the and I'm not going to say stress, but where some of the angst that they're feeling or the, the uncomfortableness that they're feeling is coming from and how they can either lean into it, identify it, and then think about the resources that they have to manage it to, as you said before, to have some agency and, and to, to put more control around it as well, to be able to feel less stressed and hopefully in many situations more well-dressed or more ready to face the world. So Rona, it has been an absolute pleasure having this conversation with you. Thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you very much for having me. I appreciate it.